Hey gang, welcome to episode two of Bad at Parties. First off, I want to thank everyone who listened to our premiere. Last I checked, the session with Chris Crawford was at 126 plays. I have no idea who you listeners are, but thank you. I'd love to know what you think of the show, so please head over to iTunes and write a quick review. Okay, enough personal plugging. This episode's guest is illustrator, designer, and author Ryan Gerber. Our conversation jumps right in, talking about Ryan's in-progress novel about a Pentecostal teen with a brain tumor. Uh, He begins to see hallucinations of his dead brother. Weird stuff. Coming your way. (laughs) It's like, I I literally try to sit down. So, okay, so, I two, I two, uh, two kind of ideas in wanting to write this book. The one is... I started writing a short story where a kid is playing on a Ouija board at a party. A kid mm-hmm. who was brought up super Pentecostal, had all these like spiritual influences growing up. And here he is at this pivotal point that's super innocent, just, you know, at a friend's birthday party, uh, and a Ouija board comes out, and he sort of makes this decision to not make a decision to walk away, mm-hmm. and sort of gets sucked into this like world of the occult. Right. And of course, like, nothing happens on a Ouija board. No, right? nothing but, but in this, I thought it'd be funny if, like, you know, what if, like, his dead brother comes back and has been, like, trying to get hold of him mm-hmm. from, like, this netherworld. Hmm. Like, maybe it's hell, maybe it's someplace else, but, like, maybe maybe there was something true about opening a door somewhere, you right. know? And I've, I've read all this fantasy and fiction where, uh, like, there's a there's a this fiction book I love. It's by Susan Norris. It's called uh, Mr. Norrell and Jonathan Strange. It's, I think, one of the best books ever written. Hmm. And it starts... In this presupposed Britain of the 1840s-ish Napoleon era, where uh, magic was once real. And it still is. When people study it mm, in a historical way, but Mm -hmm. it's all been lost. But they know concretely that... This was was a thing. It was totally a thing. This is obviously how Britain came to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there used to be worlds into fairy and into hell and all these, like, realms. Mm -hmm. But that's the past. Yeah. That's the past. And magicians are just historians now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, they find out there's, there's one last magician mm-hmm. who just happens to have been wealthy and bought up all the books of magic. Mm-hmm. And he finally comes out of the closet, so to say, uh, trying to revive magic. But he's the most boring, <laughs> gentlemanly scholar fuck you've ever heard. Yeah. And she, she writes him so well. In just this like, oh my god. Oh, I hate this. What a prick. Just killing magic. Just taking... He's such a prick. Just taking magic and being like... Absolutely rude. Yeah. Like, filing, filing legal suits against people for saying they're magicians. <laughs> like, putting them, like, in jail. Like, I, like that, that level of douchebaggery. Yeah. Right? He just wants to be the only one. And he doesn't trust anybody with it. Uh, but then the court is kind of like, later, decades later, they're like, well, you know, I think it's for the best of everyone because they're at war with France. And they're like... I think you need, I think you need a student. I, just more of a liability thing. Like, what if something happened to you? Imagine what's happened. Like, who's going to take your place? Hmm. So he's forced to find a student, and he eventually takes this young gentleman who's a total nitwit, kind of like, I don't know, what's, what's the word? Like, a dandy. Sort of like, yeah. just has just money. Just a fancy. Doesn't have, doesn't want to get married, doesn't yeah. want to do anything. Just wants to spend money and right. have fun. So he takes him on as, as a student. And this guy... This is where the book just changes and becomes the weirdest fucking roller coaster ride I've ever heard. Yeah. Because he, he unlocks, like, this road to fairy, and there's, like, a, it, I mean, she writes it so weird. Hmm. And it's, it 
by the end of it, you're just sitting there like, what the hell happened? <laughs> what the hell? Oh my god, he's like drinking a rat potion and he's going crazy. And... Man. Who's that by? Susan Norris. Susan Norris. So that is the feel that you wanted to get from the opening up that Ouija board feel. Right, so yeah. that, that whole thing where I'm like, he felt like a door opened somewhere, mm-hmm. that was, I stole it from her. Yeah. Because like, it was constantly like, do-do-do, working on something, and then like, in the back of their head, it's like, something just changed, and I can't, I can't tell you what just changed, but something is different, and, and she constantly uses this like, a strange wind swept in from mm-hmm. like, a different world altogether. Totally. It's kind of like the feeling of, like, you've been watching it this whole time, we've suddenly added a different color yeah. that now you're viewing everything through. Yeah. It's like, mm, this is different. This, I know it's all the same, but it's totally different. They use, they use this, uh, like, if you've read, obviously, Narnia, you know, mm-hmm. like the first book, Magician's Nephew, where mm-hmm. they go through, like, the world between worlds. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty common occurrence in a lot of fiction. Uh, so they use this as this world that you access through mirrors hmm. at one point he's able to turn a mirror into a door to this other strange ancient world that is nothing but other doors and he's able to kind of get anywhere right it's kind of the matrix that moment where he's like oh yeah i can do this i mean it's they're stealing that i'm stealing it in yeah. the opposite direction i everyone's been stealing this yeah everyone's forever yeah uh but i always love that i love that admittance that maybe there's a door somewhere mm-hmm. and you just never knew it was there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a profound idea. Yeah. And I stole that and I think I ruined it, mm-hmm. but I'll work on it. Is that, <laughs> do you feel like you're stealing a lot of material? Are you just kind of being like, yeah, this is, this is borrowed or stolen or like, I don't know. I feel like when you're writing, you have to recognize like, yep, I have stuff that has influenced me or stuff that I've been involved in and it's affected me. And I'm going to adjust it, uh, but the theme, like if I'm an intelligent person, I'm able to recognize, yes, this is a theme, and I am just recreating it for my own purposes. Do you feel like, I don't know, do you feel that you're catching yourself and being frustrated by that? Do you feel like you're like, oh, good, I can lean into this borrowing? Or I think, I think everything, I mean, there's the, the very old adage, uh, everything's stolen in mm-hmm. right. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I think if you're willing to admit that, you're going to be much more successful. Oh, 100%. And, and not go to bed at night being like, oh my God, like, right. well, is and this original? Sure. Because who cares? I have a great friend, Taylor, who, like, when he would write music, he would always tell me the most powerful thing you can do for yourself is can you figure out what you sound like? Like, if you do it before yeah. somebody else does, awesome. Now you can say, great, I'm going to change it a little bit. I'm still going to be good because that's good. But I'm going to tweak it so you can say, oh, it's just different enough that it's not that thing. I think, I think the big thing, especially with our generation, is we're too afraid to do something. Mm-hmm. We live, we, one of the side effects of being in a consumer society, obviously you have this advantage. Twitter gives us this great transparency. You can see across the world. You can see what people are thinking in real time. Do you have Twitter? I have it. I, I don't think I've ever used it. Okay. I'm not a huge Twitter fan. Um, I don't have Twitter. I've never had Twitter. Yeah. I think okay. I sent one up. Anyways. Had five twi- tweets. Transparency. Yeah. yeah. But, so like 150 years ago, mathematicians would spend their entire lives working on, on, on works that mm-hmm. they'd solve a huge problem only for like a month later. Someone would be like, oh yeah, I just flew in from Germany and uh, actually like, I solved it like a year ago. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, I just spent 30 years, like we could have been working together. Yeah. And then they invent this thing called the telephone and, you know, like newspapers, you have the birth of the internet, human, human thought becomes so much more concise mm-hmm. and 
the unfortunate drawback is originality seems much more on the on the defense. Mm. And oh, we're constantly like that. aware that so much has already been done. Like, we live in a time when we have the internet, and I can read any book I've ever written in any language. Yes. You know, like, that's, yeah. that's profoundly awesome. I can translate it on the fly. But it means you, like, especially for someone just getting started in any kind of creative field, whether that's, like, a fine art or more technical, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is. Like, I, I have people all the time, I'll sit in a conversation, people love telling me about their app ideas all the time. Sure. And people, <laughs> people will say... You know, maybe I'm in a conversation and two people, some guy will say, oh, I had this really good idea for an app where X happens and Z and Y. And the other, oh, no, you're thinking of whatever. Yeah. No, that already exists. And it's like, one, you shut up because you don't like, don't stifle every fucking idea that happens. Yeah. Like it, say like, hey, actually, I think I heard something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could do something like different. That's the yeah. right response. Yeah. And I've been talking to, I feel like that's like approaching stuff or approaching creativity with novel curiosity. And kind of letting it pass through you, kind of like a meditative state. You just have to say, like, all right, it's going to feel bad for a moment. It's going to feel good for a moment. I'm going to have to recognize these things so that, I don't know, I think if you come to a place where you can accept that it's going to feel uncomfortable, that you're going to notice, yeah. like, oh, I'm doing something that's been done in part. And you just let that flow through you. Like, if you find the capability to do that, then you can actually get to the other side of that to say, okay, what next? Rather than like, okay, that's dead. Like I am, I mean, I'm saying this because I'm definitely somebody who does this as well, but like, I want to be somebody who doesn't just hit delete. I want to be somebody who edits. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing is we live in an Ikea society uh-huh. where, oh, I need a table. I need a chair. I need a bed. Mm-hmm. I go to Ikea. I go to Target. I go to Walmart. I go wherever I want. And, oh, there's the entire bedrooms. Oh, I have 30 bedroom sets to choose from. And they're all made. I can just point at one, and I pay fake money that I've never seen. And yeah. I take it home, and now I have a bed. Mm-hmm. The worst part about that is I had to, like, read the funny instructions to put it together. Yeah. You know? Man, you don't have to read them. They're 100% pictures. We've taken, <laughs> we've taken this value statement out mm-hmm. of having to go somewhere and mm-hmm. saying, like, I, I need a piece of furniture, and I need you to make it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you make furniture. Yeah. You know about the process mm-hmm. that goes into it. Mm-hmm. How many people, all the furniture they own, all the furniture their parents owned, their house, everything, they've never seen something made. Mm-mm. And there's no appreciation of the process that went into it. They've never killed a cow for their hamburger. Mm-hmm. They've never seen someone at, at, you know, weave cloth together or beat felt. Mm-hmm. But they go to North Face and they just walk on with clothes. Yeah. Like, that's the society we live in. Mm-hmm. And so it's so easy, as people who've only ever seen the end product, this polished, highly polished end product, mm-hmm. that usually teams of people have spent years, if not decades of their life, working on operating systems, technology, computers, mm-hmm. uh, anything, anything. It's, we're a specialized society and a consumeristic, mass-produced society. So sometimes for creatives, you, you have this failure to launch. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's crippling. Yeah. And there's, there's not a big way to talk around that. <laughs> and, and we kind of we self-govern. You know, again, going back to the conversation where someone's like, I had this idea for a thing. And someone's like, no, it's already thing. It's already yeah. done. Yeah, already done. Oh, yeah, Before. you're right. Yeah, I can buy that for $30. Yeah. 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 Uh, like, my, my big thing is uh, I always equate this to, like, the, the T-shirt mentality, right? Mm-hmm. No one ever says, like, I'm going to start a T-shirt company. 
And everyone's like, nah, I already own a t-shirt. <laughs> no more room for t-shirts. Yeah, everybody, we got them. Yeah, we got, we got all the t-shirts <laughs> we need. No, everyone go home. No more t-shirts. Right? Like, like in that situation, everyone, yeah. everyone kind of goes like, okay, you got a point. But you could, do, you could make a new chair company tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And there's someone that's going to see that chair and go like, this is the most beautiful chair I've ever seen. Hmm. You know? Like, but if you just... T- talk about your idea if you just voice it and you don't yeah. give it life people yeah. will always kill it well and i think that that's why it's so important like what i see that i love is people diving into hobbies right now is like my friends who are <laughs> doing things that make them happy are people who are engaging in something that they're like no i'm yeah get that whiskey um it's for my my, my tooth hurts oh yeah, yeah. i'm sorry. sorry um i think that like I love, I love doing this podcast and just starting it and just being like, yeah, I'm just going to jump on it. But like, we can start whenever, by the way. Yeah, we can start at any time. <laughs> it's definitely going. Well, I'm going to have more whiskey. You keep okay. going. Okay, cool. Um, so I don't know. I think that uh, there's that. You totally threw me off. That was a fucking <laughs> joke. You're such an asshole. Now I have to, now I have to start filtering. Myself. Yeah. That was my way of checking. Like, did we start? Did we start? We started. We 100% started. Um, but hobbies. So I... Also, just for people listening, at one point we were talking, uh, and Andy just subtly put a microphone in front of me. Who are you talking to? There's nobody else in this room. You're talking to the future. I'm talking to You're the talking future. to future ghosts. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's what we all are. Yeah. If you think about it. Well, yeah. So, I won't go into it, but our earlier conversation, sometimes when I'm frustrated mm-hmm. about events, world event, anything, mm-hmm. The, the most calming meditation I can come back to, mm-hmm. and not in a violent way, nothing about it, is just that all these people, all their ideologies, everything they think and believe, they're all going to be dead someday. Mm-hmm. And they'll be forgotten. Yeah. Goes for me, goes for you, goes for ISIS, goes for anyone you can imagine. Mm-hmm. The world is moving in a great direction, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah. That's a crazy thought. It's um so when I was testing this microphone setup and just like getting used to it, I I did a little recording with my mom and she asked me like are you going to show this to anybody? And I said not if you don't want me to and she said no. So I can't. I really want to publish it, but I won't. But like we had a great conversation we were talking about like I don't know, talking about just yeah, everybody is going to figure it out. Everybody is going to know eventually what happens or what is the end of this Mm -hmm. like it's all headed into the same spot and I think that that is like not pleasant or not comfortable but I don't know I think about that when I think about like my grandparents and how they're yeah but I think about like my grandparents and how they are eventually you know going to pass away and like I want to get to that point, and, like, I assume, because television tells me so, that I'm going to feel comfortable with death because I'm old, but that's not inherently true, but we're all going to get there, and it might just be really scary and really, like, screaming into the darkness, like, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, and then you're done. So, I, I was checking, uh, I'm yeah. really bad with names. I'm really bad with names of authors yeah. and musicians, bands, TV shows, actors. Oh, I, I said on Chris's podcast that, like, I just... This is going to be a thing that's going to come up over and over and over again is, like, there's going to be lots of stuff that's not going to be known. Yeah. Because 
I, and I'm just gonna be honest about it. So fortunately, I, I usually like leave a trail of books like in like a three foot <laughs> diameter around me. So at any point, I can just kind of like look like some direction and be like, oh yeah, there you go. How does that work on a motorcycle? Uh, you know, I usually pack light. Okay, but I've got a I've got a headset, so I can always just like yeah, call just, Google. Yeah. Bing, bing. Hey Google, yeah. what's the name of that? Never gets back to me. Yeah, and there goes the wonder again that yeah. we we're talking about. People before. Google are like, dude, stop calling. <laughs> Um, how'd you get this number? Yeah. No, okay, so I'm reading this book right now by Kevin Kelly, mm-hmm. who is one of the originators of Wired Magazine. Okay. But he has a really interesting perspective on technology, its, its place in society, its place in his own life, uh, which I've never met the guy. I don't know if any of this is true, but it, it's a pretty fantastic read, but he starts with this introduction. Uh, you know, he's growing up in the 50s when televisions are starting to become commonplace, and... Um, he said he watched his friends, their parents would bring home these expensive television sets and they'd sit in front of them and watch their TV shows every night. And his family never got one, but he would go to his friend's house and he'd watch this whole experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every couple minutes, the TV would then try to sell them more stuff. This thing that they bought was now trying to sell them more things to buy. And a lot of it was technologically related. And mm-hmm. it was this weird vacuum cycle. And he said he didn't like it. He said, he said growing up his earliest experiences of technology was something that was frivolous, mind-sucking, soul-killing kind of thing. Um, and so he kind of stayed away from it. And he, he grew up and uh, traveled Asia for eight years and came back, uh, lived with the Amish communities, got to know them, and eventually bought land in upstate New York, built this cabin with a buddy of his with his own two hands. And it, during this time, he's starting to kind of revisit technology because computers, things are starting to become new innovations and mm. commonplace. And he said that technology, there's technologies that are edifying and good, and technologies that aren't, mm. or that all too quickly become consuming. And he learned, like, a chainsaw, for example. No one working with lumber would choose the axe over a chainsaw. Right. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. He, he was like, even a tribesman in the most remote country would choose the chainsaw over an axe. Hmm. Uh, and so he started to revisit his, his understanding of technology, and he started forming this, this theme that he writes about called the technium. And uh, it's this idea of the transcendent, all-encompassing knowledge gathering that humans have created since the beginning of human story. Hmm. This, this, all the arts and crafts that we've passed down, the lore that we've perfected, uh, for the longest time, we never had a word for it, therefore we never had an understanding of it, um, which is an interesting phenomenon of humans. If we don't have a name for something, we really can't perceive it. Right, totally. Uh, so he's talking about this uh, technium, um, and I, I really like that. I really like this idea of, <clears throat> in his view, the technium lives outside of the human story now. It's its own thing. The technium is that concept yeah. of... It's not an artificial of intelligence, not self-sustaining necessarily like the way we think but it is it's at a point where no one person could stop it mm-hmm. you know it's it's uh it's constantly growing it's now feeding itself and i thought that was such a profound thought and i i like this idea that no matter what happens to us as individuals we're all feeding into this bigger thing mm-hmm. it lives on beyond us and it's the sum of all of us mm-hmm. that's kind of cool to think about it is i mean i love doing stuff like this or creating my own like artistic endeavors or I don't know making a table or something like that like whatever I'm doing I'm putting something out there 
that has, like, I can look at it and say, like, that's part of me. Like, yeah. that's a little bit of a totem. Yeah. And I can separate myself from that and be like, if something bad happens to me, that's going to be a little bit more consistent. Yeah. Or if that is bad and something happens to it, I can separate myself from it. Either way, I, it's a horcrux and that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I know we talked about this before. Like, we've all had jobs where at the end of the day you go home and there's nothing final to it. Like, you know, you, yeah, you go home and totally. it's like, still like, open. What did I accomplish? I'm going to go back to tomorrow, yeah. next week, next year. Mm-hmm. And having, having something that you can put a nail in and be like, all right, you're your own thing now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to walk away, and you're going to go your own way. Yeah. In the case of a table, you're just going to stay right where you are. Yeah, I'm going to eat off of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you in five minutes. What do you feel like you're putting into this book right now that you're writing? That you're, like, because I feel like there's something to leave and, like, if in the idea of a totem. Like, you're saying, like, great, this is... Like, I'm taking a part of myself and putting it over there, and I can reflect on it and separate from it a little bit. And I can, like, say, like, this is how I think about either myself or how I view the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what do you think is going over into that book in, like, a sense of, like, self-reflection? The thing about books that has always captured me, Mm -hmm. and the same is true for movies, but I'm never connected in the same ways as movies, um, was, was, was world building? Mm-hmm. was the ability for an individual to conceive of something that right. isn't real. Right, they're but, crafting but, a universe. But for a moment, you're fully immersed in it. Mm-hmm. It's alive inside your head. I think it's one of the craziest things about humans. Mm-hmm. That we can, I can sit here and I can start telling you the most crazy story. And if you close your eyes and you just remove yourself from this moment, you can be there with me. Yeah. And we can both share a quality experience mm-hmm. that is true to both of us, it's, but experienced differently. Absolutely. And no one outside this room has ever experienced I mean, you it. take, we talked about <clears throat> meditation earlier, but you take meditation or you take like a, a therapeutic process like guided imagery, like where you're telling someone, all right, you're going through these places and you can be anywhere and you're putting them into a safe space because you create your own universe in your mind. And so a book is so great like that, that you're talking about that you can create that universe and then put it out there and say, here, put this universe in my mind and put it in your mind. Yes. It's wild. And I think that's something movies still fail at. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm scared of the day when they match it, when we have like <laughs> neural up- uploading and right. you're just like, oh my God, I'm living in a different place right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... But, but yeah, but being like <laughs> I can forget myself, but I'm still able to recall. Whereas like that fear of like technology becoming so advanced that you're like I forgot myself too much. Right. Yeah. But like okay, so I like horror, horror thrillers. I like the, the way absurd you say horror. horror. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I moved out to Seattle four years ago now, and that's the first thing everyone notices. But not not my good looks, my charm, my wit. It's how I like say certain words like. Horror, forest, <laughs> milk, uh, horrible. We're going to do just a podcast that's just <laughs> you saying words like that. I, it's one of those things, too. Like, I, I, I go home and I'm like, how do you say this word? And I'll, like, spell a word. And they're like, ah, oh, you mean, like, forest? Like, yeah, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm glad I'm not okay, saying. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I moved out to New York... I, w- I remember, like, there was a time where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to put on my tennis shoes and we're going to go outside. And they're like, you're what? My tennis shoes. Are you going to play tennis? <laughs> <laughs> no, like my sneakers. Then like, they didn't say that. Who's tennis shoes? What are you talking yeah, about? Fair. Sneakers? But then they were saying, like, we're going to take our ice cream. And they're like, oh, yeah, do you want jimmies on that? 
I was like, Jimmy's. To be fair, sneakers. I, I grew up saying sneakers too, right? But in hindsight, am I just going to sneak around? What are you going to sneak? Sneak up on me. Get fucking sneaker. Got, <laughs> got a fucking little knife. Hey, I'm sneak up on him. Hey, you want to go play ball? Yeah. But you're not going to know I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> so you like horror. Right. Yeah. And I, so, so specifically, like, I write horror. I, I write horror. I don't know if it's any good, mm-hmm. but I really enjoy writing it. And there's something so therapeutic about it. Not in like, I had a bad day, so I'm going to write a character who sort of looks like someone else. I'm going to like murder him. Right. Um, I, I actually <laughs> tend to not like, I don't like gratuitous horror. Right. I, I like horror movies, but I don't like horror movies with like yeah. a, oh, a man. What's guy the, with a mask and a knife. Who's like, the guy that. who makes the like revenge stuff that's like uh, Inglourious Bastards? Uh, and, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, I love Quentin Tarantino, but you're not doing that. You're not saying like, this is that person's... Only because like, I'm not good enough. Yeah. No. Um, no. 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 I, I agree. But, but but you 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 still like you watch uh, most Quentin Tarantino movies, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like it, it's not about revenge. It's, it's often a very a very rabbit hole story. And it takes you somewhere, even if the end is a big shootout or something. Mm-hmm. It did something weird to you that for a moment you're just on a journey. You know, not like like I'd say I'd say the quintessential antithesis would be like a Michael Myers. You know, Freddy Krueger kind of movie. Totally. Like, oh, I'm a demonic bad guy. Yeah. And I'm going to stab you And I'm face. so separated from this story that I'm screaming at the television. <laughs> you're like, get out of there. You yeah. gotta run. The other thing is I get so invested when I see movies. Uh, I Like, I, I forget everything going on around me. It can be like, uh, just like the, the shittiest movie ever. Mm. But I am so invested in all the characters. Right. I talk about this with Heather all the time that there is nothing worse to me than somebody talking during a movie, like, I don't want to, like, she's like, I hate watching movies with people. Yeah. Because if they start talking, they're going to rip me out of it. <laughs> and now I have to either, A, get reinvested in the movie and try to lose myself, which is like trying to fall back asleep. Yeah. Or B, decide to no longer be invested. Now that, you know, this is dead and it's boring and sad. And ruin the experience. Yeah, it ruins the experience. I, I'm the person, I don't, if someone tells me, like, I don't want to see a trailer like, mm. I'm fine seeing a stupid movie as long as I haven't seen the trailer and no one's told me what it's about because then it's at least in a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I had to wait till the end to find out it was, it was truly a stupid movie. Yeah. And not just a, the most brilliant movie hiding in disguise the entire time. Yeah. Um, I remember, so the first date I ever went on, uh, I went, <laughs> I was 18 and uh, I, I took this girl, um, we went to see Meet the Parents Meet the fuckers? Nope. Or meet, the... meet the parents. Oh, was that? That was the first one. Yep. Okay, I thought, I yeah. was like, yeah, that was your first date? Yep. Okay. Meet the parents, and I remember, I'm like, you know, not the smartest movie ever. No. Good slapstick humor. Ben Stiller. God damn it. I I was pacing the theater. I had to walk out at one point and like, like oh God, I had to go in the bathroom and like mop my face off. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I made everyone in the theater nervous. Like, people are coming up to me Still after, do the, it. after the movie. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that has never stopped. Yeah. Uh, but that's where it started. Yeah. Uh, the, the girl I went on the date with probably thought I was an idiot. Uh, and people were coming up to me afterwards like, are you okay? We saw you, like, getting up and, like, you didn't look okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that, that, that's the power of a story, right? To take you somewhere. And oh, invest that, you in. it was the story that was doing it. It wasn't the date. You were pacing because of the story? No, the date actually went fine. Oh. Okay. Th- other than, <laughs> other than <laughs> me being in it. Right. Uh, <laughs> But I think that's the power of a story is to, like, take you somewhere. And that's not an original thought, but that's something I, I very much believe. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, 
I grew up. I grew up in a subculture that I know you can appreciate. Yep. Pentecostal Christianity, mm-hmm. where people get away with saying, "I'm not gonna say that." People say things, and oftentimes the people saying them have have <laughs> no no body to answer to because they are the authority. The only authority they really have to acknowledge is a made-up authority. Hmm. And everyone sort of goes along with it. <laughs> not, not made up. I, w- I won't go that far. I'll say... You did. You I'll, can go that far. I'll you say, can go however far you want to. I'll say no one's, no one's going to stop them on the spot right. and say, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say that. Yeah. Right? Like, if, if I got up and was doing a press conference and I was like, all right, guys, President Obama, he told me... All right. He told me uh, all the single ladies have to give me their numbers, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, like maybe maybe I put it on national news. Yeah, I mean the Barack governor Obama, already has them. Barack Obama would send a drone and kill me, right? Because that's that's like reality. Yeah, that's like a Tuesday. But but people people get this runaway train deity sometimes, and I know it's because I was a minister for a while, but. Um, you, you get to say things to people who are very impressionable. And I don't mean that in an ignorant way. I don't mean that in a dumb way. Mm-hmm. I mean that you have kids sitting there. And this is, you're the person that their parents point to and say, this is the person you should be learning from. Right. This is the person who's going to teach you how to live life. This is the person who's going to teach you how to be a good person. This is the person your parents will call when, they're, when they need to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is, this is one of the cornerstones of your community and they can stand up and say anything they want. Well, it's a source of truth, is what it is. They say this person, they say, here is a person, and they're a, a source of cr- truth. I mean, growing up in the church, like growing up, my dad is a pastor, and as a person who I like, deeply respect and really appreciate his opinion and think like he's someone who I can see doing a good job. Like, at the same time, like growing up in the church, I definitely saw a lot of scrutiny towards people that didn't need it, and a lot of freedom given toward people who needed some reins. And I just it's just so it's so messy because it's it's people's community. I mean, I think about like so many people who are like, well, it's my church, it's also all of my friends. It's also for a lot of people where they some of them get their food. It's my identity. Yeah, it's my identity. It's my the thing that defines who I am as a living breathing person. Right. And it's so dangerous. And and I think really to clarify when I say made up Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you're talking from behind a pulpit, you can say things, and deep down you know that no one's going to say no. Mm-hmm. And ideas of God, ideas of some deistic being, they're totally fine. They have, a, they have a, a deep-seated place in society, in our culture, in our place as human beings, and in our future. But we make shit up. We make shit up, and we... We just, we just have this innate ability to think of it as real and backed up. and mm-hmm. I mean, one, one of the biggest things with any religion is looking at a body of text and saying, okay, can we all agree on this? It'll never happen. No. Because everybody has this vision in their head right. of who their God is. Right. I mean, and some of the people who I most respect that have, um, that are spiritual people in and of themselves and that are pursuing spiritual concepts and trying to say anything are about that, like, who are, like, buying into the, those ideas are people who are saying, like, 
like, I have no idea. It's just people who are saying, I don't know what this is. This is really confusing. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm looking for more questions. How awesome would it be if someone was like, man, I, I just really don't understand what's going on. Sometimes I, I just doubt if the world's real. Right. Like, oh, I don't. And everyone's like, hey, yeah, yeah. Let's make a church around that Let's guy. Let's make a church around that. <laughs> yeah. Which is why like, is that not happening? I don't know. Why aren't more like, why, what I don't know is why aren't more like churches right now being like, okay, so we're all going to the mosque. Because people are really fucking with the Muslims. It's not okay, so we're all going to the mosque today. Because uh, they they just need to know that they're supported. And so we're all going to go and listen, and at the end we're not going to try to convince them to come to our church. We're just going to say, that was beautiful, thanks. Yeah. Have a great day. <laughs> like, I want to do that. I just want to be going to the places and just experiencing stuff. And I guess I can. I'm making my own universe where I think that I have to research more stuff before I can walk in. Yeah. I mean, that's a respect, but it's also, like, a barrier that I've placed upon myself that says, like, okay, once you have accomplished X, then you can go into these other places that aren't your first language as far as religion goes. Right. Yeah. I So, like, as a millennial, I have that cookie-cutter sort of, like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I've done a bunch of things. Yeah. Uh, I've worked in technology. I was a missionary. I have a degree in theology and anthropology. Blah, blah, blah. I served ice cream for a while. You know, I'll probably do something different in another year. Yep. Um, but in, in, one of those, in one of those periods, I was really invested in understanding theologically where we've come from as a, as a human species. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was so interesting. Going back as far as we can go, uh, which currently is about 17,500 years. Religiously, that's that's sort of where where we can stretch to. Mm-hmm. And in every culture, you have these truthsayers who who uh, embody the cultural truths. They they know the myths. Uh, they pass it down generation to generation. And we're in a weird place where one, there's too many people in the world. That's just math. Uh, and with that, you just sort of have this unaccountability that comes from. Too many people saying too many things and not enough time to really, like, stop everyone and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Totally. Right? Um, and so I remember growing up, kind of going back, I, I remember growing up in a Pentecostal church where people would just say, they just say shit. And it took, me, it took me decades to really put this together and be like, man, why didn't anyone stand up and tell them that was dumb? Dude. You know? Do you ever have those <laughs> moments still, though, where you just, like, had somebody say something and like you'll be like walking down the road and something will just hit you and you'll be like oh that's still part of like the foundation like I just I didn't notice that that was fucking under the stairs still I, I, I've had this like so often in my life yeah. like something where it's like suddenly I'm walking down the street like sandwich just a piece of meat hanging out of my mouth and I'm like like whipped back I'm three like third grade or something yeah. like that in Sunday school and they're just like uh I don't know, like pointing to a felt board, and they're like, and that's why everyone who's not saved is going to hell. And you're like, oh my god, okay, I guess that's true. And then flash forward today, and you're like, wait, I took that, I took that from like some crazy person, right, on a felt board. Like that, that's where I base all my life. Most of the decades. evil is coming from felt boards at this right. point. We right, we should get rid of felt boards. That's really what I'm saying. So go to getridoffeltboards.com and support the movement. Yes. Um, that no, slash, but you, the you have these you have this culture of truthsayers, which is as old as human history. Mm-hmm. And I just remember them saying shit that years later I'm I'm figuring out just 
I don't agree with and logically like I can't support and and even even on a theological level like I've read the scriptures I I've read them in the original languages and it's not there like where did this come from mm-hmm. uh, you made it up yeah that's the weirdest thing to like point it, it's one of those moments where it's like wait are you calling me a thief right and you're like yeah I guess I am yeah. right you're like an old old time shootout kind of yeah. thing it's, it's it's that moment where you're like yeah, you made that shit up. Yeah. And not all of it. Not all of it. But and, that's, like, what got you to that you know point. What? You I'm can say little, anything you want. Right. And there's a difference there. Like, I'm a little bit okay with some of the making shit up stuff. Like, if I they, get it. You can't know everything. You can't know when everything. When people ask you questions, I they mean, ask you to have an answer. Yeah. If we're it. If we're going to continue, if we're going to say, like, spirituality as a concept or, like, uh, recognizing ourselves and who we are can continue to grow, I mean, I which I'm going to say, I do think that. And I think that's a huge part of why I want to do art because that's going to let me, like dig into those thoughts. Like, if we're going to buy into that, then there has to be, like, some making upsies. <laughs> like, we have to have that. Otherwise, if there's not, then, like, I, we should stop. <laughs> oh, man. I wish, that, I wish that was, like, a great excuse for anything. Like, uh, President Obama, um, <laughs> you killed 400 million people with drone strikes. Uh, what do you do? You know, I was kind of just making stuff up because... <laughs> Look, we're all human. We didn't it, have all the information. He is. He you guys is. look for me for answers. And that's okay. <laughs> like, he would be, like, we would have so much better, like, conversations if we were just like, you know what? I was just flying by the seat of my pants in that one. Like, if that was on the regular, if we said, yeah, that happens sometimes. Uh, that being said, like, let's stop pretending like you tried to make this decision and let's be honest, you just made it. Yeah. Like, you just. You just went for it. Like, then we wouldn't have to, like, lie ourselves into a corner. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, growing up in this this scenario, right? Yeah. You have this culture that reinforces not just, not just stories and cultural uh, ideas of truth, but you, you also express taboos, which are really interesting anomalies in every culture, and every culture has different taboos. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a taboo being anything that if someone started talking about out loud at a party, right. uh, everyone would go. Anyway, I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get. Another, I'm gonna walk away now. And, right. right. Like that. That is a taboo. Right. Totally. Like I mean, I remember like so many times I'll go back home to Arlington, like small town, and I'll just like start talking about certain things that like I am totally comfortable talking about with my friends, and like I've shifted the tide, and people are uncomfortable, and I've totally made it not okay like oh we're all really awkward in this yeah but at the same time like i get that too like somebody will bring up something that i'm super uncomfortable with and like i don't know it's it's silly even if it's like something that's maybe like i'm like wow that's morally a little bankrupt and i'm not kosher with it like i'm gonna put myself on a hierarchy and i'm gonna say yeah i feel like i have a more like a higher moral spot on that because we all do if we don't then we're just living into something that we don't believe in so you're gonna have to say yeah i think my moral perspective is better than yours um so when you get into that spot and you start hearing people like you're doing the exact same thing to them like we're totally doing it it's like okay case in point yeah if i were to like go meet up with some like people i went to college with right Mm -hmm. I went to a super conservative Christian college. Yeah. Uh, most of these people are going into Pentecostal ministry. Is it in Missouri? Yeah. Yeah. Um, very homophobic culture. 
like I, I think they would even be like, yeah, absolutely, because gays are going to hell. Like I, I don't think I have to really defend it for them, um, because they're very outspoken about it. And it's one of those things where you you you, you sit at a table with them and you're like, <laughs> like without saying a word, there's this tension in the air. Yeah. Of like I see people as people, and they're like, I see people as broken, sinful animals going to hell, unless and they go through that tiny door that I found, and you're like. How does that make sense? Yeah. All of it. Right. And especially if you're buying into a deity that is, you're assuming, good. Like, in the essence, like, you're ascribing to a deity that is the essence of what good is. Like, how are you going to do that and say, like, oh, but it's only through this guy who was, you know, within, like, a hundred miles of his home ever in his entire life. Yeah. If you know his name... <laughs> Like, we'll translate it into a few days. It's okay. It's okay. We'll make an age of accountability, which yeah. is 10. Yeah. So if you're over 10, you're fucked. But was if you're that over 10, you're okay. I never heard that one. My, nice. Mine was uh, roughly 12. Oh, roughly yeah. 12. Uh, between, between like 10 and 12, it was a toss-up, yeah. um, which actually falls into this, this book that I'm working on. Yeah. Uh, but we have this culture, like, not a culture, we have a civilization built around taboos and truth-saying, and, and, and it kind of reflects this moral hierarchy. And my whole life, I've been so attracted to the taboos. What are the things we're not allowed to talk about? Right. Why aren't we allowed to talk about right. that? Right. I'm so glad that I like came to this place where I can healthily engage in that, because otherwise, I'm just right. a You do heroin all the time. Right. And you love it. Right. And you're such a better person for it. Oh, God. No, but you, you know what I mean? Like, you grow up and you have people telling you... This constant list, gray, a very gray list, too. Like, uh, okay, don't kill people. All right, got it. Cool. Uh, what if it's in self-defense? Well, ooh. Oh, all right, we'll move past that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, relationships. Uh, sex is great. It's, it's so healthy and awesome, as long as you're married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, so how f- can I, like, kiss a girl and not be married? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean... No, use your best discretion, i.e. don't do it. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things you grow up and you're like, okay, I, one, it's not really in the Bible. Uh, two, where are they coming? Where like, Where is this coming from? Right. Like, what is this based on? Do they know where it's based on? Is there a logical, is there a logical reason for keeping this going? Is it just, we've never, we haven't done like a system reset for a while? <laughs> You know, like, do we just need to do a hard shutdown, yeah. restart, wait like, 30 seconds? Okay, there was a lot of debt. There was a <laughs> lot of moral debt that we had just built up, and we're just going <laughs> to we're just gonna wipe it clean, and we're going to start a little... Think before. if we treated societies like computers and, like, iOS devices. Like, what if... <laughs> we still have all these prohibitionist kind of, like, holy, move, holy, uh, holy movement... Uh, morals that still influence our country, mm-hmm. politically, culturally, just anything. Uh, despite the fact that we've completely changed, technology is rampantly increasing. We don't have the moral construct to follow it, uh, so it's outdating us further than we can catch up. What if we just did a system reset? Right. What if we? What if we tomorrow we're just like, all right, we're gonna delete the constitution, the blah, like, uh, okay, every holy book needs to be rewritten from scratch. Go. Yeah. Whatever, like, we'll give it one year, whatever we have in a year, that's what we go with. Yeah, that's and we had a year to, like, reset. Yeah, and it's like, you've got all of this idea that it's like, here's all these things that you can, you can just live with. 
Yeah. You can have all of these constructs that are important, and maybe you end up with a lot of stuff that looks like it already does. But let's get rid of the stuff where no one else can believe something different. Like, it's me or death. Yeah. Like, ugh. I So I, I used to work with the... Uh, I, I was actually on the board of faith... Uh, a board of directors of the Interfaith Alliance um, in Pennsylvania for a few years. And one of the things I would do is I'd sit usually weekly with, um, among other things, and I really support this organization, I think they do a lot of good work, but they would sit weekly and they'd invite lots of ministers, priests, rabbis, uh, people, leaders of, of various faiths mm-hmm. um, to a roundtable discussion to talk either about common common dialogue, like let's all look at an Old Testament passage or a, 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 a political thing that came out this year and let's all talk about it and express like what our belief influences around it. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things was they were so entrenched from hundreds of years of, of, of group thinking that brought them to this, which is understandable. But so much of this was just tearing off bandages and just saying like, let's all be really open and vulnerable. I remember one of the things that we talked about uh, was the idea of morality. What is morality? Hmm. If you ask any person on the street, how would you define morality? Right. How would you define morality, Andy? We're not doing... Are we doing this? We're oh, doing this. okay. So I'm going to definitely define morality um, as a big question mark. <laughs> as... <laughs> is it cop out? But, um, <laughs> you know, definitely something where moralism is an individual's perspective of what is right and wrong. And that's going to look really different. But then if you look, I mean, that's the kind of individual perspective and then a socialized, or a social perspective of moralism is, is going to be what is right and wrong to do for others. And so how do we take care of one another because we don't live in a bubble? I would say you're missing one thing. Yeah. And that is, what's that based on? Oh, based on what? <laughs> what is that based on? Oh, I think for me, that's going to be based on an individual's perspective and a community's conversation. Okay. Yeah. That's totally fair. Um, so one of the things we really had a battle with was you're sitting with a rabbi, a Catholic priest, a Pentecostal pastor, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a Buddhist, an earthiest, a Wiccan. Um, a dozen people at the table Mm -hmm. and you're also saying okay so we all believe different things and on any one subject maybe we all think different things based on that belief Mm -hmm. so how do we all mutually define morality and Mm -hmm. ethics I get what you're saying right so if you if you don't have the same cornerstone for even having a conversation Mm -hmm. you're not even speaking the same language well and I think that I you're not speaking the same language I've talked about this like Um, And this idea, I mean, I mentioned earlier, like, the idea of Christianity as my first religious language is, like, that is the background that I have to understand my spiritual experience. And that is the first language that I have. That doesn't mean I I don't want to learn other languages and understand other things and grow in that. But that's going to always, I know, going to be the most, that's going to be how I talk about it because that's my native tongue. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for me to understand concepts in it. Um, I don't think that... When I think about moralism like that and, like, how do you have a group of that, I don't think you should ever be doing that, like, as a goal to, like, we're all going to come to one conclusion. So, I'll cut for it. We yeah. came to one conclusion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
we had we had a really awkward conversation. It went for about four hours. We're sitting around this table, and this isn't like a universal thing. This is just us right there then. But it's something I've always remembered. Ultimately, what was morality and ethics trying to get at? And all of it came down to this hope and an expectation of tomorrow. And tomorrow is a question mark. How, how you define tomorrow can be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. For a diehard atheist, tomorrow literally means tomorrow. That might be all I have. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow might be the last day I'm ever alive. Mm-hmm. I'm gone. For a Christian, that might mean a future in heaven. Right. A resurrection of the dead here on earth. For uh, a, a Buddhist, that might mean my next life uh, in, towards the eventuality of finding nirvana. Mm-hmm. Depending on who you were, tomorrow could be different. But something about living today a certain way influenced how you arrived at tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so morality then, and ethics, as a larger conversation, was what things do we do and what do we bring to the table now that ensure our hope in that tomorrow, mm-hmm. whatever it is. If you sincerely believe that you will never, ex- once you die here, you will never exist again. You're gone. What, what is your hope for? Why are you living? What's the biggest thing you can accomplish while you're alive? And if you're kind of more the, the opposite of that, you know, maybe you, you're hoping in something coming after this life. Uh, what, is that, what does that look like? Why, why are you living a certain way right now? Like, if you really ask yourself, why are you in this moment doing what you're doing, mm. not doing something else? Why am, not a, why am I not a warlord? Why am I not doing a shit ton of cocaine, blowing all of my savings on a crazy convertible and some TNT and just driving off a cliff, you know? Mm. What is it that makes me act and operate a certain way and believe certain things about right now that influence my tomorrow? And that was, that was the conclusion we came to. And after that, for the, all the conversations we had, that was, the, that was the cornerstone that we could always point back to and say, mm-hmm. we have that same understanding. Mm-hmm. We, we took the time to define a language mm-hmm. that we all understand. And, and that was the thing, that was honestly the thing that kept people from having fistfights. Totally. I mean, yeah, I think that I, I really like that. I like this idea because I'm definitely buying into this idea of how do we have conversations. And for me right now, it's very much digging into this idea of, well, maybe we just come to a place where we have to let ourselves not agree about stuff and be okay being in a space where we don't agree on certain things. But I like that idea that you're, you're saying, you, what you're saying is essentially like there has to be something. You're saying there has to be a tie that we can connect on. We can't be totally separate. And I think that, like, what I'm saying definitely feels like something I want to believe, but what you're saying feels like a practical, actual conversation when you have multiple people with these different perspectives in the room and you're like, okay, but we're actually going to try to have these types <laughs> of conversations. Like, that's like, okay, that's probably more what that looks like. So going back to, I guess, kind of the taboos. Yes. We're talk- taboos. Yeah. Uh, two taboos. The, There's two of them. Yeah, uh, the taboos. Two taboos. Yeah. Um, I've always been really attracted to this area that no one's allowed to talk about. Mm. And it's always sort of like, what's in that secret room I'm not allowed to know what's in? Right. Right? Like, you tell any 10-year-old that, they absolutely want to know. Totally. And as far as I'm aware, I have never really evolved past 10-year-old me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
like, 10-year-old me was pretty obsessed with the fact that I'm going to die someday, my life is going to be meaningless, and, like, what am I doing on this earth? What a weird, like, why do I five fingers on each hand? Like, right. All these questions would be asked ourselves eventually. Yeah. And I haven't really matured past that point. Right. But I'm, I'm happy with that. So you have this person telling you there's these things you're not allowed to experience. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to experience. Mm-hmm. I totally want to experience those things. Yeah. You know, you tell me I can't smoke a cigarette. You're going to smoke that cigarette. I really want to smoke a cigarette yeah. now. Uh, fortunately, I've never tried heroin or crack right. or like cocaine. Like, it's really that, good that you were so involved in the church <laughs> for such a long time. I'm sure uh, that, that didn't like, affect honestly, you at Honestly, all. though, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like... I, I, like, I remember growing up thinking, like, oh, the punks, they're, like, so dirty and mischievous. I'm going to be a punk. Right. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to get skateboard. I'm going to have spiky hair. I'm right. going to put fucking Elmer's glue in it's my It's the head. desire for the other. It's the, like, I want to know what it is to be that. I don't want to be the person that's afraid. Tell me what I can't have. That's what I want. Cool. And that's a human condition. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Uh, and whether you respond to it with that, and that's what I want, and now I will go get it, or when you say, and that's what I want, and I will deny myself it, like, create two very different people. Very different people. Yeah. And I, I, I think I've been both. Yeah. In my life. I, I would totally and agree I with that And I greatly favor myself. the person that goes for the, the forbidden room. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't killed me yet. Um, and having done both, I'm so much happier being the person who's like, nah, fuck it. I'm right. going to go for it. Right, and I think that that's a, a joy in my life is to know that I can be both of those people and like have that strength to say, yes, I'll do this thing that you're telling me I can't. And also the strength that saying like, no, I'm not going to do this thing just because I can't. I'm going to have the awareness of self to say, not that. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it, takes, it takes a person who has, who has taken a moment to know themselves mm-hmm. to say, I'm not going to do that. Because I had the choice. Yeah. And Versus think, the person who is never allowed. Totally. Otherwise, you're a binge and purge mentality. Or a binge and purge mentality. You're saying like, like I'm obsessed with this. Like you're gonna have someone who's like crazy addicted to porn because they've never been allowed to see a vagina in their entire life, and then, like they're gonna be crazy about that. They're just not gonna be able to interact with that in a healthy, normal manner. And instead, like you have somebody who was like, well, I grew up when like. With porn Stop. just all around Just me. like, it just around, no. Like, you're just saying, like, I, I was... I have 30 I, Maybe I was sexually active in my youth. Maybe I was able to, like, engage with, like... Wait, you're giving me weird looks. <laughs> maybe you, like, maybe you're somebody who's able to, like, be aware of your body and, like, talk about it with people that are important in your life and say, like, yeah, that's okay. You can engage in these, but respect others and respect yourself. And then you're not going to be, like great, well, I'm going to crawl into this dark room and masturbate for 30 years, you yeah. know? No, no, I mean, like, so one of the one of the very formative books that I ever read was uh, Alan Watts' The Book. Mm. And he, he, uh, he um, let's see, he was raised by an Anglican father, I believe. I might be wrong about this. Um, and his, his parents had a house. They'd always invite people from all around the world who were traveling or speaking or just even refugees they always had this very host mentality. So we got to meet lots of people from all, all these different walks of life. And this was in maybe the 40s, 50s. And by the 60s, he was kind of putting out some, some writing. Um, and he, he had become an Episcopalian priest, I believe, if, if I remember. Um, it was just sort of what he knew. He was raised in, in the church. Uh, the only thing he knew was to be an Episcopalian priest. Mm-hmm. 
And as he kept going, he realized that a lot of his thoughts and ideologies strayed from the church, and if he was going to be honest to himself, he really couldn't stay. So he became more of an academic scholar and a writer, mm-hmm. and eventually, towards the end of his life, he wrote the book. And the premise of the book was, what one thing could I leave behind after I'm dead? My children, my grandchildren, my great-great-great-great-grandchildren could read. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing I can ever pass on to them. And I want them to be the best possible versions of themselves. What would I leave them? It would it'd be this book. Uh, very short read. You should definitely read it. Yeah. Um, and in it, he, he starts off talking about the taboos, the, the things and cultures that we don't talk about. right? And he talks about, in traditional Chinese culture, sex is a huge taboo. Right. And traditionally, children grow up and they never really hear or learn about sex because no one talks about it. Except on their wedding night, uh, parents quietly come in and give them this book. And it's sort of like a Kama Sutra of like, okay, so read this in your own time. I'm going to go that way. And yep. uh, blessings on you. Yeah. And we never, this conversation never happened. Jeez. And he's like, what are the taboos in our culture? And for him, it was spiritual. It was things like, we're all connected. Mm-hmm. You and I, we share an existence beyond what we can really intimately gather in this moment. We both share this sliver of reality, a moment that we exist in. Every, you and I and every single person in the most intimate way possible, and we all disregard this mm-hmm. so often. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something actually technology and this technium idea that I mentioned earlier links back to is that we're building something that's greater than ourselves and connects all of us in an intimate way that we're not really aware of. Mm-hmm. And it lets us escape our taboos. It lets us voice our opinions you can go online and start writing under a pseudonym tomorrow. You can say anything you want. Right. If you believe it's true, untrue, hateful, loving, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to put into the world, there's some truth in it. Absolutely. And you can do it. Mm-hmm. And we get to have that story together. And that's a sh- very shallow artifact of what he's trying to portray mm. in the book. Right. And I really love that. And I think going back to writing, one of the things I... I, I want to capture is this sense of exploration of things I'm not allowed to explore. Mm-hmm. There's things that I think are terrible in the world. Mm-hmm. There's things I think are wonderful in the world. There's it's, things I think are totally mediocre. Right. And you want to experience and, and the pure selfish part of me, mm-hmm. the part of me that realizes I most likely I have no evidence to support otherwise, only get to exist once. Mm-hmm. I want all of it. Mm. I want to win the lottery. Right. I want to live for 100 million years. Mm-hmm. I want to experience every single thing that I get to, hmm. but I don't. Right. And you feel, do you feel that like in the writing process, you're able to say like, I am able to transport myself into that idea. I'm able to transport myself into that moment of like, what if I was born into poverty? What if I was a dog? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's anything, but it allows you to put yourself into that universe, that idea of like creating the universe that you would talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like this whole conversation because I think like so much of what we talked about, we were like, let's talk about the book on the podcast and we're not. That's actually the opposite of what I said, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, you said don't and I said, okay. Please God, don't. Everything that we've talked about, I feel like is talking about the book because it's talking about, I feel like how so much of who you are and the things that you're saying 
and why this is so interesting, and this is really interesting to me, is why I'm excited about this book that you're putting together, um, because it's you digging into these thoughts and putting it forward in this really interesting, really, and I'm going to say, fucked up sort of way. That's great. Like, I mean, your word's not mine. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Which, okay, to be fair, the book is about a kid who has a massive brain tumor growing in his head. He's, he, he's raised in this very Pentecostal church environment, uh, which I'm obviously drawing on. And he's the outcast of his society. Um, we go into the backstory, uh, what happens, but ultimately he thinks he's seeing this uh, vision of his dead brother who's some devil, demon, mm-hmm. afterlife, netherworld, uh, recollection of his brother's soul, uh, who ultimately is challenging him uh, to do some terrible things mm-hmm. in order to join him. Right. Um, All of these... Ridiculous premise. Yeah. It's totally fine. But you hear these stories all the time. People robbing banks mm-hmm. make out like millionaires. People who rob banks get shot on the spot. People going on crazy jihadist raids. People going and doing fantastic work with their lives in the poorest places on earth. This spectrum of human experience that is ultimately completely outside of my grasp. Mm -hmm. And I get to read about a lot of it. I get to read about the best people. I get to read about the visionaries. Mm -hmm. I get to read the memoirs, the biographies, the fiction, the war stories, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like horror taps into this place Mm -hmm. that is profoundly true, but so far outside of my experience worldview and it also falls in this taboo conversation that people aren't even allowed to talk about right it's saying i think what is so great about it is it's saying like maybe this horrifies you i mean it's in the name it horrifies you and it it's uncomfortable it makes you feel strange you it's not a pleasant thing but at the same time it's totally desirable because it's recognizing that these are truths that exist within the world and your being your body and your physical experience tells you avoid this avoid this <laughs> and at the same time you're saying but this happens like i think maybe it's an evolutionary trait in us that we want to experience in a safe way something as crazy as that so that, that way we can understand it if we can take something and put it in a book then we can pick it up we can look at it we can say i know what this is i've felt this experience um and that way we can we can quantify it. But also, like, it's part of recognizing that full human experience and saying, like, all of this is all of us. I, I think exactly what you said is true. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like hearing on the news that a school got shot. I don't like hearing about a terrorist attack. I don't like hearing, I don't like hearing most things, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But there's something in, in living and experience, just even in pages, that lets us understand ourselves better. Yeah. Well, I was listening to, I just saw that um, the Seattle Times, Cairo, and Como all put out recently, um, they fought hard and won the right to put out the footage from the shooting at SPU, where I went to school. Um, I was living I was living like a block away from I know. when it happened. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, that happened... And they, I'm going to say, like, they had the right as a, as an organization to, yes, if there is a media, if there is news, you have the right to pursue that. You have the right 
to seek the truth, to grab it. Then you as an artist, because they're new as organizations, they're artists, like in their origin, and that's what they are. It's their obligation to put it and curate it in a way that is respectful, that is meaningful, not to just fucking throw it on the internet where anyone can see it, where pictures of food exist. <laughs> like, take it and make a museum. Oh, that's a cute dog. No. Oh my god, it's shoot it. I oh, want that's these, a cute dog. I want these people to take these things and say, there is a time and a place. That's why we experience stuff like this through books, through beautifully well-written, hard-worked-on materials that are not, like, maybe they're uncomfortable, maybe they're ugly things to talk about, but at least we took the time to put them in a medium that is appropriate for the topic. Uh, that's, that's a great thought. I mean, if you think about it, news, news is purely sensational. If you yes. want to know what runs on the news, it's what's going to get the best ratings. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter. I want it doesn't to see matter the, the network. Yeah. It doesn't matter the political persuasion. It doesn't matter. No. If I they're a network you've ever heard of, mm-hmm. they're airing things because they think it's going to get good ratings. Right. I want to see the company, the, the news organization that is compiling every single security footage from <laughs> every single shooting and then creates a museum out of it and says none of this is available on the internet. Yeah. All of this is available, similar to the Holocaust Museum, as this place where you go and you are somber and we create a system of, like, a place of ceremony where you're saying, yes, this is important. Yes, we should talk about this. Yes, we should be aware of it. But we don't need to throw it out into the open space where people can do anything with it. I want to see, I want to see one network. The next time some atrocity happens... Just say, we're not going to say the name of the person because they deserve to be forgotten. Totally. I mean, I don't Moving know. Moving on. Yeah. Let's I talk mean, about that was a big thing that people pushed hard for with the SPU shooting is they really pushed for Mies, who's the, the kid that, that stopped him. Yeah. That was on security that day that maced him and tackled him. I don't know the other guy's name. Total badass. Yeah. Real nice guy. I went to school with his brother. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, and I love that I know his last name. I don't know that other guy's name. Watch me find out, like, if that's not his actual name. I've been pronouncing it. Whatever. I can picture who he is, and I'm proud of him, and I can't picture the other guy. And, yeah. Anyways, yes, the, the book allows you to take these hard, ugly, fucked-up concepts that you're able to reflect in yourself and able to say, like, let me put this in a way that you're going to have to engage in it. But, like, you can actually engage in it here. Haven't you ever wanted to go there? Like, that door. You're not allowed to open. Like, not the, not to, like, have sex with, like, 500 yeah. random strangers, but, like... The metaphysical door of... Just something terrible. Hmm. But, like, you still, you still want to know what it feels like. Like, yeah. you don't want to hold your hand to a flame, but something inside you still wants to know what that feels like. Yes. I don't want to do a hard drug, like, coke or heroin... But if for a moment I could experience it and then walk away and go, whew, okay, good thing I didn't actually experience that and mm-hmm. I, I could just sort of well, have the ghost of that experience. Yeah. The after party of this podcast is going to really A, bum you out and B, blow your mind. <laughs> uh, you've been lining coke up on the table for an hour. So yeah, I'm it's really here on this bench, yeah. this creaky little bench. Um, no, but, but I think that, I think it's the power horror has as, as a genre. And... I'm really protective of it in the most minuscule way because no one knows who the fuck I am. 
Right, and that's totally fine. I'm so okay with that. I've, I've been writing since I was in fourth grade, and I tend to just throw everything out. I, I read it years later. I think it's so fun. It's like, it's like writing a journal for me. I've, um, I, so, so in, in, in cultural speak, there's two ways of truth-telling. There's, or sorry, there's a spectrum right. of truth-telling. There's factual truth. I ate a sandwich with whole wheat bread, with lettuce, tomato, bacon, whatever. And then there's, there's the abstract level that really strikes a chord with humans as this animalistic hybrid, right? We have rational thought, but we're also these abstract creatures. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's like, I ate something seductively juicy, and I, rem- I remember the feel of my teeth sinking into it, and the, the juicy bits of fat just flowing on my tongue, right? Like, mm-hmm. two ways of telling the same story. 100%, yeah. They're both true. Yep. And I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about the ability to tell truth and to interact with an experience you can't really have mm-hmm. in a way that lets you have it. And um, I really want bacon. Yeah, I'm so weird? excited about your cookbook, your horror cookbook. <laughs> <My> horror cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, cut off your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your best friend Andy over. Breast friend? Breast friend Andy. Breast friend Andy. Give him that poisoned water. You feeling sleepy, by the way? Do you yeah. need a nap? Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a nap for that. There's a nap for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, thank you for coming on my podcast and talking about your weird thoughts. And this is so weird. This is fun. <laughs> dude, you were nervous about this. Are you still nervous? Well... Uh, have we started yet? I'm still not sure on that. Yeah, we're going to start. Oh, shit. Okay, we're going to start now? Yeah. Okay, I'm ready. Cool. Cheers. Cheers, man.